0: Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. It's Friday, and you know what that means. Hobby hustle coming at you. Josh and Chris from the Card Ladder team. I've had them on several times individually. This is the first, the first time as a collective, a duo, and I'm excited to bring this conversation to you. Topic is growing the hobby and getting people to stay. We dive into a lot of different topics, things that are on going on in my head and things I wanted to hear from them. I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you like what I'm doing here, hit that subscribe button, leave me a review. Sign up for the weekly rip that's hitting everyone's inbox who signed up every Friday. You can follow the link in the show notes or hit it on my IG bio. Without further ado, happy Friday to all of you. Let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I'm excited for this one. I've had them both on individually several times, and this is the first time getting the, the duo together. So I'm joined by Chris and Josh. On the card ladder side, first of all, before we jump in, I want to just say congratulations on the one year anniversary of Card Ladder. I think it has certainly been a platform that I've used every day for the last year and has helped me better inform decisions that I'm making in the hobby. And I know it's, I think it's admirable just building a business within the sports card market. A lot of people aspire to do that and you guys are doing it. So before we jump in, just wanted to extend a congratulations to the card ladder team from directly from stacking slabs HQ.
1: Thank you, Brett. Appreciate it, man.
0: All right. So there's a lot of meat on this bone. And I know that uh, Josh is going to game five here and watch the suns take down the Clippers. He's hoping. Um, So we're going to just jump into it. Um, I think, this last year has been just a wild ride in the hobby there's been ups there's been downs um but i think for me it's been a big learning experience and i think we're at a place right now where i think it's good to just take a zoom out take a step back and just have a conversation about operating community and things that i'm seeing in the hobby and i figured these guys are guys i i communicate with regularly have a good pulse on what's happening so let's just jump right in so the topic is growing the hobby and getting people to stay. I think we've all seen people come and go over the last year. And there's been many reasons for that. And I, as I meet people in the hobby, I, I mean, I've met the card ladder team. We talk regularly and they really want people to stay. I want people to stay. A lot of other people want people to stay. So we're going to have a conversation around that. So I think just to kick it off, first of all, I think personally the big reason why I love sports cards is just connecting and the passion around players, the passion around nostalgia, the passion around just having owning a piece of something that reminds me of something. And I think there's just a great community around us that have these same types of things and the reasons why they want to stay. So I want to talk about community first. Um, and maybe we can start with, I uh, will start with Chris. Uh, we're, I'm facilitating this conversation. so. uh Maybe, Chris, uh, you're, you're somewhat of a philosopher, I would say, in the hobby. Um, I'd love to maybe you touch on just psychology behind the need for community. And before you jump in, I think people that I find that love the hobby and are in it deep, love the community aspect, and people that I've seen come and go, are people who don't think about community necessarily and are thinking about kind of the transaction and the quick buck. So set me up, talk a little bit about community.
1: We'd love to talk about community. And it is appropriate for me to be the opening act and Josh to be the main stage on this question because (laughs) he created and pioneered and put into perspective for me the mental framework for thinking about why community is important in the hobby. He'll talk about this, I'm sure, but that was... At the heart of the genesis of Cardboard Chronicles on YouTube was community. Community is huge. Community best serves its function when it makes the hobby more fun than it otherwise would be in isolation. And it, with the ultimate goal of retention of hobby participants, I think the likeliest way to ensure that happens is by ensuring that people have fun in the hobby. Certainly, Card Ladder is our humble attempt to make the hobby fun and to accessorize it in a way that makes it more enjoyable, more, makes it easier to navigate. And for many people, community is an enhancement as well. I'll be completely honest. Um, You know, you said a little hobby philosophy. Socrates was the master of dialogue, discursive interaction, back and forth. Socrates was in the public square questioning assumptions, prodding people, um, forcing people to examine the unexamined underpinnings of society. And what are we doing here but, uh, but examining the axioms of the hobby? So there is something nice and fun and enjoyable for the three of us, I think, about philosophical dialogues, thinking, examining. Uh, so community, this is community. We are doing community right now. The hobby would not be as fun to me if I didn't go on podcasts every once in a while and say things. Uh, but it, that's not, it's not the same way for everybody. It's not the same. Some people do exist in isolation. They're lone wolves. They prefer to do things quietly and in their own lane. And if that makes the hobby more fun for them, that's great too. So I don't want to say it's an all or nothing proposition. You must be part of the community. You must find a community. But I think for the vast majority of people, myself included, having community enhances the hobby. It makes it more fun, makes it more relatable. We vent. We have vent sessions. We complain. We uplift each other. We compliment each other. We share our collections. We share our mail days. We strategize. These interactions, it goes beyond the hobby. That's, that's life in general. Having other humans to talk to makes it better most of the time. So I'll wrap it up there. Enhancing the hobby.
0: I love it. Um and we're going to pass it off to Josh, but before I pass it off to Josh talking about Cardboard Chronicles, when I came back into the hobby, I did what most everyone does and you know, go find a couple podcasts, House of Jordans, go find a couple things on YouTube, Cardboard Chronicles, and I'd watch Josh, I'd watch your conversations and you'd talk with these great collectors in the hobby and for me as someone entering back, I'd then go listen to these conversations about these grails and these cards and it was like I knew these were the types of people that I wanted to surround myself with, but just the cards and the progression and the evolution of where you and those other collectors were, were so so advanced as just opposed to me just walking back in. So I think like, I'd love to maybe get your take on the community aspect where, yes, we are trying to build a community. Yes, we're trying to educate, but how do we tell people that are coming in that you don't need to go start and buy a gold LeBron finest PSA ten rookie. Like that's probably not the likely path. But like what are your thoughts on just educating around community with new people coming in?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh I've done a lot of podcasts and every single time, you know, people ask me what's the number one the number one thing that keeps people in the hobby and, and retains them, as we pointed out. It's always for me been education uh and storytelling. Is the other one so that's just always been the basis of everything i talk about and try to uh try to impart some wisdom as best i can to anyone else listening or and the cardboard chronicles one was the was the you know the start of it obviously you guys alluded to it but having people on to tell their story of how they progress to those points where they're at so i always ask you know where did you start when did you start collecting maybe when you were a kid why did you stop what brought you back, and then how did you get from where you are today from when you you know came back for the second iteration in most cases, and just kind of like hear from someone who's maybe similar to you, uh, have them tell that story of how they how they got to where they are I think is the I think is the biggest sticking point for people to say, "Hey, look, this guy or, or gal, they were able to do it in two years or three years, and they have the same reasons that I want to come back or that I did come back. You know why can't I be successful with it? And I try to get people that are from all, you know, financial tiers of life. You know, some some people have a lot of money and they can just sort of plow their way through these big cards. Some of the people can't. A lot of the people that I've had on, they just got back into it at a time when even the cards were a lot cheaper for them, or or they've spent ten, fifteen years at it. You know, frankly, there's there's no shortcut to that. Some some of those people just uh, like the Scott Pratt, the Pokemon guy. He's been collecting Pokemon since like 2002. And it's like, yeah, he's got a lot of great stuff because guess what? His story is that he's been doing it for 20 years on eBay, 12 hours a day. And some people can do it more passively and you kind of get to see their progression, where it would line up with you. So the the thought is that like, I've got so many of those archived that you'll find someone and everyone kind of messages me who's their favorite. And it's usually the person that they relate to the most. And, you know, like, oh, when they said this little bit about why they got back in, that's exactly why I got in or this is why they like this very specific weird thing that they do. I get why, because I also like that player, you know, from this random game or something that I was at. So there's all these different things that kind of uh, people can relate back to themselves. So that's, that's always been the, that aspect of it for me. And on the education side, you know, I've taken a bunch of uh, attempts at like how to educate people and, you know, a lot of failed, frankly, because people just don't want to be, Hold, how to do things and, and collecting itself is hard to educate because it's so different for everybody. It's hard to say like, here's, here's the way to do it. Right. So Chris and I have sort of pivoted into this, uh, to do this one size fits all, which is like, figure out what you like, you know, start to research the market as best you can determine what players you want to collect, use things like card letter, ask questions, get involved in the community. These are things that can be applied to really any path to success. So the the education part has really evolved over the years for us and we we, we hope that we're getting to the point where it's actually becoming, you know, helpful at scale for everybody.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. And I, I think, um, just for me personally, the, you know, we, we all go through these evolutions and we all go through turns, but it's finding trusted resources and people that are talking about the things that have got them to where they are today and how they've done that and the, the, just blunt tactical stories, like really helps people out. And I think, you know, for me, it's allowed me just following people like you and following many others. It's allowed me to really block out the noise because there's so much noise and really focus in on like the barometer that I have now is like, no matter if this card goes up or down, like I don't care because I've got something that I'm going to hold on to and tell my kids and tell my grandkids about how great this player was and what, what it meant to me. And I think when you start to uh, get feelings and emotion and nostalgia involved, it's really an unstoppable combination. And it's one of those things, which I'm sure you guys can attest to when you wake up, it's really all you can think about is, is sports cards, which is kind of wacky, but um, fun at the same time. I had an yeah, go an Interesting
2: tidbit on this little side topic. We've been, I've been collecting long enough now that I literally have nostalgia for when I collected in this current iteration. Like, I, I have nostalgia over a few of the Pokemon cards that I was collecting five years ago. Like, we're we're so involved in this community that we're creating these little mini nostalgia reboots. <laughs> so, I think, you know, the more you, like, get into the community side, the more long-staying long power it has, regardless of the value.
0: 100%. Chris, I've heard you... And I'm not going to articulate it like you have because you've said it. I think it was on Hobby Update. Maybe I've heard you on some other shows talk about it. But you talk about just like sports cards and especially like the demographic of people like us right now, it's unstoppable because it gives you like this connection between like sports and finance, which I think is super fun. I think we all, anyone listening to this podcast loves sports Um, and I would imagine anyone listening to this podcast likes to make money as well. How with that being like the, this is what sports card is for a lot of people entering. Like how, how do you think about that from, from the perspective of like not indexing too far on one way or the other?
1: Great question. The two go hand in hand. I think it's, it's a, it's not quite as neat and tidy or as serious as this, but Sometimes markets can be thought of as um, score scoreboards for the collectability of items, and so there is um, not merely a financial reward, but maybe a deeper collecting-oriented reward surrounding when a card that we like appreciates in value. It's it signals validation. It signals. Um, that hey, other people are seeing the same thing that you once saw as well. So there's 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 the scoreboard aspect to the market, which is fun and interesting and painful and harsh and blunt. You said yeah, I, you use the phrase blunt tactical stories. Uh, blunt tactical stories are awesome. I like that. The, the market is as blunt as and as tactical as it's ever going to get. Uh, but but so that's why like you like you laid out properly. You marry the finance aspect. We, many of us in this hobby, almost all of us, have some interest in finance. Uh, me, I'm interested in the scholarly side of finance. I like to think about markets. I like macro and microeconomics. I like thinking about what moves the supply curve. I like thinking about, you know, are there supply shocks coming? How do we conceptualize the growth of the market over the last year? These are academic questions that are really interesting to me. Economics has always been a fascinating social science. Uh, For others, they take an interest in finance because what is finance? Finance is uh, a machinery or a tool or a process that enables you to do things that you want to do with your life. Money is a tool. Money is the great enabler that, that provides opportunities and gives you chances to do things as you strategize and decide how to use it and what you want to deploy it towards. But no matter which aspect you're coming from, practical, academic, scholarly, maybe somewhere in between, the financial aspect is extremely interesting. Finance is a social science as well. Uh, finance is is laden with theory and with opportunity to analyze and to dive into it. And it has great practical consequence for those who master that domain or those who get lucky in that domain. And most of the time it's luck rather than mastery, but both can happen. Then you have cards and you have collecting and collecting as you laid out is the, um, it balances the the finance and it, and it accessorizes it or complements it the finance doesn't make sense. You can't sort out the market without understanding the collectible component to it. I, I think collecting, the collectability of items, we are in a collectibles market after all. The fundamentals of collecting are the levers that move the market. They, they are the levers that move the financial aspect of this. So you really want to have both. And then what influences collecting? Sports, sports fandom, nostalgia. Nostalgia is so important. You guys were talking about Nostalgia think about how much nostalgia, like Josh said, he has nostalgia for 2016, 2017. I know what he means. I have that too. And think about how much nostalgia is being forged right now. All of these people who have come back to the hobby or the new people who have come into the hobby, starting with these, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020 draft classes and all the major sports. So much nostalgia is being forged right now. Nostalgia for these brands Nostalgia for these moments, these experiences, these shows, these podcasts, this content, so many seeds have been planted over the last five years that will come to harvest five years down the line, 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, just like all those seeds that were planted in the nineties came to harvest as well. And so, all right. So you've got nostalgia driving, collecting, you have sports driving, collecting sports fandom, super important aspect of collecting. Collecting is like fandom on steroids in a certain sense you know, we, we were kind of talking about Josh and I on this week's episode of Sports Cards Culture. Why hasn't the Trey Young market exploded when he's obviously done everything right from the hobby point of view? He's exceeded expectations. He's got a collector base. He's got great cards. He's got rare cards. He's got commodity cards, but nothing is really trending up. At best, it's been flat. And, and we, we settled on the interpretation that it's pride. It's the pride of collecting that so many of us have already planted our flag elsewhere that we're not just about to switch uh at the blink of an eye. And and so, you know, we've all planted our flags, and and so the thinking there is that our sports fandom is overriding what might otherwise seem like a rational point of view that here you have this really obvious prospect who was doubted and and, and we were all skeptical for so long and now he's in the Eastern Conference finals and he put up 47 points in game one and like or however many it was. But but fandom is something different from just cold calculating rational investing and the fandom aspect and the it it ties into collecting so neatly sports fandom you just you you bring all these things together i mean we all love these things right like we talked about the reason why we like finance we all know the reasons why we love sports we all know the reasons why you know we love content that surrounds finance and or sports and then sports cards brings it all together man it brings it all together and people from different walks of life like sports cards just a great equalizer we all have two eyes and we're all watching the same sports on the same screen and and we all have access to the same resources and the same eBay, no matter whether we're in a penthouse in Manhattan or we're at a bar in Long Island. We're the same people with the same eyes participate in the same game.
0: I love that so much. And uh, Josh, I'm gonna pass it to you and set you up because I wanna you to talk about one of your cards because I think it goes along this uh wavelength. But on the Trey Young front, I'm not I don't this conversation certainly is not here to put down any Trey Young collector or the Trey Young market there. Many of my friends in the hobby collect Trey Young cards, but I will say personally to not see his cards go parabolic during this period, I think is a really good thing for the hobby because the way things were trending over the last year, where a guy has out of nowhere comes off the bench and scores 30 points and all of a sudden his cards, you know, double or triple overnight. Like that's not sustainable to me like Trey Young like if this continues like over time his cards will uh I think we can expect his cards to elevate in price but like to not see knee jerk reactions over you know performances I think is probably a good thing long term for the viability of the hobby Josh I want to pass it to you to talk about this but uh, maybe do it from the context of like finance collecting nostalgia like I listened to your I've heard it but I listened to your story about acquiring the LeBron RPA last week and just like obviously like you put a lot of financial means into acquiring that card and I'm sure there's a lot of that went into making that decision um but knowing you like you didn't necessarily buy the you, I'm sure you wanted the card as it has since you bought it to elevate in price but there's deeper meaning and reason behind you making that purchase. So maybe like talk about that in terms of just like the collecting behind it and then like the financial component.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, the financial barrier to get that card is way too high not to take that into consideration a great deal, right? Like I, I can't spend that amount of money and then just be like, oh, it's just for my PC. I hope it goes to zero. That's completely irresponsible and frankly insane. And I would hope nobody ever spends more than uh, a given percentage of their net worth on a card thinking like oh this can go to zero and i'll be fine now you gotta it has to be realistic you gotta be reasonable in that sentence i'll i will start with that make sure that's clear that like no i, I definitely had the financial side of it but the, the second piece the, the second pillar to that is that card to me is um it's really like the most important modern card ever created and the reason i say that is because in 2003 it was the first basketball set to to have the rpa and that's kind of like where we are today it's like the autographs the jerseys and it's just it really means it has a lot of meaning to me that that set that card and it's like the 52 mantle to me is like the the pillar of the the vintage card and then you know this one is kind of the 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 mirror of that for the modern so I just i wanted to be a part of that history like i just really like the history of the hobby and understanding which cards are most important and why and you know why people value certain cards over others and you know gathering all the stories over the all the interviews i've done it just seemed like you know it made the most sense to me and it just is like a it's a piece where i can point to in my collection and say like look i'm a serious collector i own this card i had to go to great lengths to get it the story that i tell of how i got to it financially you know, has its own story where it's like, you know, I can be accepted in the community of people that understand LeBron cards and how difficult it is to acquire that card. I know a lot of LeBron collectors. I know guys that have just incredible stuff. You know, they've got they've got a huge breadth of cards that I, and that one is still the one that like has eluded a lot of people. So for me to get to it meant a lot to me. And, you know, that it took me six months to get there and, you know, the things I had to sell that I didn't want to sell that I had to get to it, you know, the sacrifices, the decision-making processes that went into it, it, it all just sort of wraps up into a really important story that I'll be able to tell, you know, forever.
0: No doubt about it. Um, I love this. Uh, the, maybe before I want to talk, spend some time talking about like the collector's mindset and what goes into that, because I think it's really important. Um, but before we get there, maybe we we talk a little bit about like, I couldn't believe it. And again, like I've said it like base card, it's a market. It's an entry point. Like I think it serves a need. I'm not, I'm not saying, it's amazing. Like the reaction I get whenever I talk about base cards, people like come at me saying like, you know, not everyone can afford this. And, uh, why are you putting these things down? Like I'm not, and I try to do whatever I can to say I'm not, but what I, I, I can't tolerate is waking up, looking at my Instagram and then still seeing like people, influencers, content creators talking about prices going up on certain cards, base cards, because some players had a certain performance. Like we have a track record of data that Card Ladder hosts that informs all of us and says, hey, everybody, look at what just happened over the last year. And now we've got people acting like That didn't just happen. And we're just going to erase that from everyone's mind and talk about because Chris Middleton or whoever had a blowout game, let's go off and buy their PSA 10 base cards. To me, it seems like a little misdirection. And I think people, I'm well-equipped and know not to go do that. But I think to myself, if this were me entering the hobby and I'm looking at that content for the first time, maybe I'm being influenced to go buy those cards at the peak in those prices. So Chris, maybe like jump in there. Like I've got a lot of energy around this. I know you're in the data every day. Like how, how can we maybe just, just react to, to that? I know you see it. I just love your response in just terms of like new people seeing other people say that these cards are what they should be buying when in fact, maybe they should just go do the homework themselves.
1: Great point. Super great point. First of all, let me say this. I think it's extremely cool that base cards like Prism base cards, Select base cards, Optic, Hoops even. I think it's really cool that those cards became worth grading and developed markets and took on value. Uh, that I'm, I, I'm, not all collectors agree with me on that one, to say the least, but I always thought that was really cool. And I, and it was fun to see it happen. I think cards present really nicely in slabs. And uh, I just was happy to see it happen. But to your point about where does the data fit in? How does content relate to this? Where does this stand on the financial side of things? Okay. So first of all, last summer, a movement uh, took hold. Of some of the younger, more naive content creators, not only young in age, although that applies, but also young in experience. And the movement that took hold could be summed up in four words. Pop reports don't matter. That was the theme of the summer of 2020. It was the driving force. It was the it was the war cry, like in Braveheart. It was the rallying cry of these base card investors. Pop reports don't matter. Pop reports do not matter. I guess that's five words if you break it out that way. And that was very problematic. And we talked about this on crossover as soon as this came up. And we gave a fair voice to that side of things. And we said, well, look, you know, that what they're really saying is population reports are insignificant in comparison to demand. So as long as there's more demand than supply, who cares if there's 10,000 or if there's 200? If there's more people who want it, then copies are available. That's going to have an upward pressure on price. And fair enough. I think the logic checks out if we inspect the premises. But what wasn't accounted for was the the sheer magnitude and scope by which these pop reports would expand over the course of 2020 and over the course of 2021. And it has completely distorted the understanding of these markets, and they still, some of these content creators still don't understand what a pop report is and what it means. So, for example, let's talk about the Trae Young Prism Base or the Trae Young Prism Silver. The Trae Young Prism Base right now, PSA 10, is trading at around 350 to $400. That's, an, that's a remarkable price for a card that was a base card that came out of a box that had a suggested retail price of $200 upon release. That's an incredible price on that card but the population report has grown and grown and continues to grow month after month after month. If that card had the same population that it had in the summer of last year, we can reasonably expect that the market value of that card would be much higher than it is now. But the population just swells month after month. More copies come to market, more copies come to market. And so all all we see, if, if we're not thinking about pop reports, all we see is just the price, you know, it's stabilized. That means, you know, that means tr- demand for Trey Young must have stabilized. False. That's not what it says. You have to look at the market cap. You have to think about how many copies are out there. You have to think about the floats. How many copies are available at a given time, and then factor that into your analysis of price. So I think errors now have been made twice in the uh, on the opposite side by people who are interested in base cars as investments. First of all. They didn't expect or anticipate, even though they should have, because all the evidence was there, they just intentionally ignored the forthcoming flood of supply that was going to happen as more and more copies of these cards got graded, and more and more PSA 10s and PSA 9s and BGS Gems hit the market. And there was all the warning signs. It was all written on the wall that there are tons of these cards out there, and they're constantly being graded, and they're going to start hitting the market, and it's going to have an impact on the the amount of these cards. And, and demand is not infinite, right? When you start getting into population reports for prison-based cards that are in the tens of thousands, whether it's Zion, whether it's Trey, whether it's Luca, whether it's Morant, and probably soon to be rookies from this year, if PSA ever goes back to that cheaper service level, the, the population reports continue to grow, and so the variable there that like you you guys are investing in something as investments that the the supply of which is going to triple and quadruple over the next year. And your response to that is pop reports don't matter. That was absurd. So, that's that. That's I think the biggest takeaway from this thing is that now the error is being made on the other side. And we're thinking, oh, well, the prices of like the Trae Young Prison Base are stabilizing. Yeah, but what's the market cap? What's the population report? What's the float on these cards? It's tripled or quadrupled. So, if the price has stayed the same while the supply has scaled you know, it, it, by, by multiples over the last few months, then that card's actually doing really well, but it's not a good investment because the variable of supply flooding the market was never taken into account. A lot
0: of, a lot of heat there. I love it. Uh, a lot of good passion there. Um Josh, I, I think just maybe just, to put a cherry on that, um, what are we eating? Chocolate ice cream? Is that? Is that? I know. I know. I know. Chris is a vanilla bean guy. Uh, when when we hear people say like sports cards are falling, the market is going down, like mostly like I'm hearing that, and it's coming from people who are saying it from the lens of like the base market. But then when we're when you go and dig in and you look at like what's happening with at golden auctions or just some of these rare and scarce cards, like. I see it every day on the the card ladder headlines like there are like record breaking prices that happen regularly. So like how how do we balance like this narrative between like sky is falling, hobby is doomed because of base cards and actually co- come look over here there's actually like some badass cards that are selling for record prices like every day.
2: This is the hardest question right now because, you know, I want to be the guy that's championing for you know the uh, oh yeah it's down the last three months but it's up over the last year while also trying to balance like yeah but we are if you want to get real and you want to see where we're at today we are way down from three months ago and in my opinion it's not just on base cards it's on a lot of stuff stuff that I own stuff that I see sell on golden rare stuff uh, that stuff is down as well and it's down a lot in in some cases so I you know and if you've watched crossover like I'm always the guy in the middle trying to trying to be the sober one and trying to figure out, you know, how does this play on, on all the sides and where where in the middle, are we? And it's really hard. I'm not sure. I think it's both. I, I think uh, there's a lot of optimism on the, on the uh, like overall prospecting of cards in general. Like, I think there's a lot of excitement around cards. I think people are excited to be involved in the community and they're excited to be a part of the market and they want things to go the direction, you know, they want prices to go up because they're almost like cheering it to go up so that they can keep being involved. They know that like, if it goes down much further, I might have to leave. So I'm, I'm hope that doesn't happen so I can stay. So I really like that sentiment. And I, th- I feel like there's a lot of that. But the reality is the prices are going down. And we don't know how much further they're going to go down. And I'm not sure. There's not anyone that can tell you for sure whether it's going to keep going down or stabilize or go up. Nobody knows. We don't know. And events aren't going to determine that either. I see a lot of people saying like, oh, well, you know, Space Jam's coming out. So LeBron market's going to recover. We know that's not true. The Hall of Fame did not help Kobe or Duncan cards in the least. In fact, they made him go down. So, you know, I mean, my only good answer is really like, the only real good answer I have is that I think the o- the only actual reason it's going down right now, like the, the primary reason, like a good majority of the reason is just because it went up so quickly in such a short amount of time. It has nothing to do with the hobby, nothing to do with the participants, the cards themselves, the rarity. It's all having to do with the fact that people got way too excited and way too willing to pay 10x the last comp. I can't believe how many people were just like jumping at the first uh, the first spot of the Jordan Fleer, for example, to pay 7x the last person. That card is going to become available many more times. This isn't the last time you're going to see it. I don't understand why you would pay 7x the last person. And there's just this FOMO hype effect, and it just built and built, and built, it got way too out of hand. And now, and to Chris's point, like the fact that it's sort of like stabilizing ish and not cratering right now is incredible that means that the market is still going up in my opinion if you if you really look at the broad spectrum of it it went up so so much 10x 7x all these crazy numbers and it's come down 2x dude it's the the fact that it hasn't gone back down 10x the stock market if you look at crypto and stock markets they go up 100 and down 100 when they're that volatile we went up 7x and down 2x how is that happening does that mean we're gonna? keep going down to get back to where we were before or, or is our hobby that strong and there's that many new participants you just kind of have to figure that out for yourself and get the pulse of the hobby but in general to wrap it up this is a really long answer so i apologize but i think it just comes down to what stuff is collectible what do people actually want to own for longer than 3 months what is the stuff that you know I'll, I'll if i close my eyes and block out these crazy volatile spikes of you know things that had nothing to do with the card itself what are the cards that i want to own And I want to look at it 10 years from now and see where it's at. That's the stuff that all of us can sort of agree on what they are. You know, it's a little bit difficult, right? Like we basically agree that it's probably not, you know, pop 17,000 base cards. And so you just kind of have to hone in on like, what do I want to physically own in my possession? It's really that simple to me.
0: I love that answer and response. And I think for me as someone who's gone through this evolution and seen the market at this parabolic, uh in this parabolic way and now that it's coming back down like me as the collector like I have this like I have this like dog on a bone mindset it's like I'm like salivating because I'm like I got to buy these cards right now because like and then I'm like I I I just got to start keep buying keep buying because like based on what I saw things go for uh 6 months ago now it seems like these cards are more within reach so like Uh, maybe it's uh, maybe i'm crazy maybe i'm just a collector at heart maybe i just have confidence in sports cards but like to me it's been a buying opportunity and i just want to clarify this like for everyone it's it's not a buying opportunity for the cards that like are just i can go readily available on ebay but i've told chris this it's the the cards that are just like a dot on card ladder that have not seen any other sales in the past you know year or whatever like there's an Yeah. Dot cards. If there's an opportunity there and it's a player that I PC, like I'm jumping on it. So I've got a collector's mindset now. Like I I'm blocking out everything. I feel like even though prices are going down, I feel happier than shit. I'm loving sports cards because of the evolution I've taken and just the time spent and just me knowing and identifying my lane. So like, I feel like I'm, Understanding my own collector's mindset, but Chris, maybe just like jump in and like respond to that. Talk about like collector's mindset, the importance because I think it's it's a very important topic that I don't think not a lot of people are talking about right now.
2: gotcha did you want to jump in really quick? Yeah, me... I'm I going make one really quick point because I know that it's Chris's turn. I've been blabbing. You, you made me remember like when I I was talking to Chris about a card he wanted to buy, and it was like a really rare card. It's, it's a card where you're describing uh, Brett, where it's like it's coming back down into price where you're comfortable again. And it's getting to that point for Chris for a couple of his items. And I'm like, "What's your max? What are you willing to pay?" And he gives me a number. I'm like, "That's the value of that card." Chris wants that card. He's a collector. It's in his wheelhouse. It makes sense for his next thing. This is the number he gave me in a very, uh, you know, private conversation. That's the value of the card, you know? That's what he wants to pay for it. It's not that he was influenced or that the population reports or someone or he thinks it's going to go up in the next six months it's just like he wants to pay that amount of money that he's earned for that card today that's what it's worth so continue on
0: i love that and to throw it over to you chris it's i say this a lot but and this goes into making purchases it's sometimes you you just got to think like an owner and make a decision and sometimes you just can't turn to last comps or whatever you got to you got to understand the value of that to you and the v- value within your own finances. So I love that commentary, Josh.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Josh Josh gave a good litmus test for cards that, uh, for like a collectability scale or a collectability index for cards. Uh, question one, do you want to own this card for more than three months? I think that's a great question to ask about a card before acquiring it is, do I want to own this card? More than three months. If the answer is no, maybe you've stumbled upon an opportunity to be an intermediary between a card passing hands from one collector to another, and you're just going to be a middleman and extract some profit along as that card takes its journey. There are people who have made obscene amounts of money in the hobby operating in that fashion, not being collectors themselves, but knowing how collectors think and wedging themselves in between collectors and occupying cards for a limited period of time. Flippers but high level flippers high quality elite high end flippers have mastered this domain um the the collector will wants to think and ask to themselves you know if i'm acquiring a card and i don't intend to own it for more than 3 months is there another person on the face of the earth who does <laughs> because if not then i'm really running into the risk that i'm just going to be another participant in the musical chairs of the hobby or to use a different metaphor the hot potato and i'm i'm just going to take my turn with this hot potato for this card but that doesn't apply to all cards not all cards are hot potatoes if you can find yourself in a position where you're acquiring a card casket cards we've talked about this the the concept of casket cards you know those cards that you want to own for life and take with you and they the the prestige of ownership and the joy and the nostalgia and you know josh was talking about acquiring his rpa and how it carry significance beyond just and of course it's more than it's sufficient to just have the satisfaction of being able to take out your collection and just enjoy it and what for what it means to you but it really collecting goes to another level when an item situates you as a participant in the history of the hobby and as a member of a community not now you've got the holy trinity going on of you enjoy the card the card matters to history and the card gains you some purchase in the community in some meaningful sense those are cards that, you know, are, are defining. They define collectors, they define collections. And so these are the processes and the thoughts and the approaches that we take. And you're, and, and it has. It's, it's very experiential. There's no book, there's no tutorial, there's no guide that can really substitute for the experience of falling in with a group of collectors, whether it's a Facebook group or a message board forum or a group chat or putting content to social media and getting interaction and then finding your lane and finding people. There's no substitution for that experience. And that experience teaches history. That experience teaches what the community prioritizes and values. And then we find where we fit. Okay, we agree with this. We don't really feel this way. We we all find our different places within that community. It's very uh, socially constructed, this whole process is. So on the collector's mindset i think josh left all the breadcrumbs in his answers and i'm just trying to tie them together into one you know coherent thesis statement
0: i think that's really strong i love the idea of the holy trinity josh maybe tossing it over to you the this is like the most basic like marketing example in advertising ever but i always go back to it because it's so good but the best marketing campaign you could say just do it from nike's one of them but One of the one I always turn to is the uh, think different from Apple in the Steve Jobs campaign. And the, it's just such, it's, it's stood the test of time. And I think about that campaign and I think about just collecting. And I think about the, maybe this time last year, and even now still like you're buying wide receivers in football, like high-end wide receiver pieces. And you were buying these pieces because you have a connection with players like Julio Jones and you have connection with, you know, them being on your fantasy football rosters and no one else was really like out there doing it, but like you were doing it because it meant something to you, which I think that in and of itself, like the opportunity to collect, have a collector's mindset and be unique is something that I think there are certainly other people doing it, but I think it's something more, more people should talk about. So maybe like talk about maybe just the receiver thing, just the importance to you of just like thinking outside the box and being a little different with the way you collect.
2: Yeah. The, I mean, the receivers for me have just a ton of meaning, like you said, because of fantasy football and I've drafted those guys for so many years. And the other thing was that the LeBron and basketball stuff that I was collecting was just getting a little bit too expensive for me. Not just like relative to what I had been paying before, but going back to the point I made about Chris earlier was like, this is what I want to pay for it. That's what I'm willing to pay and anything more. I just, you know, I'm not comfortable doing so. And so like I had to find something else to, you know, put my creativity on. And it was also when Chris and I were talking a lot about, you know, finding your, your zag or whatever, finding your lane. And I kind of wanted to like show people that there is an example that you can, you can apply it to fairly easily. And um, the other side to this also is that I wanted to find something that I felt other people would enjoy as well, because I'm, I, I like collecting as an individual, but I, what I like more, and I've alluded to it already is that I like collecting things that people as a community can get behind. Not, not just from the selfish standpoint of like, Oh, if I make this, if I buy this, I'll be one of the values going to go up. It's a lot more than that. It's about like the sharing and uh, you know, like the shared interest in things. That's like what we as humans uh, yearn for the most is like this shared community and sense of like belonging to something. So looking for something that I think a lot of other people can get behind was exciting for me. And, you know, having people message me saying like, Oh, I've always, I've been collecting receivers for years. You know, I wish other content creators or influencers would, would talk about it. You know, that that makes it more fun for me now, knowing that other people are getting involved and et cetera. So that was a big part of it for me uh, just being fully transparent about it. It wasn't just like, Oh, I just, I want this for me. And I know, I got to collect these specific things because it's all what I like. That's, that's definitely part of it. But a lot of it is that uh, it's something that I thought the whole community could could share.
0: Yeah, I think a, a good public service announcement for everyone would just be like, just because somebody else isn't talking about it doesn't mean you shouldn't collect it. I think some of the best collections are people that are unique and no one else has a collection like them, whether it's a player collection, receivers, a different sport like tennis. So uh, maybe we close it out with this. I think I have the show and I talk about my journey with sports cards, because to me, it's all about the evolution and just the learning, and like part of the reason why I do this show is the main reason why I do this show is because I want people to uh to understand that like there are other people that are going through this journey, and hey, here are the things I'm learning, hopefully this will help save you some time and money. So I think with that being said, like we're all all three of us on this call, I think, want this hobby to expand. we want our friends to enter that aren't there yet. Um, And we want these people to be educated when they come in, knowing that they're probably going to have to go through some hurdles and learnings themselves, but for the most part, maybe not deal with some of the BS that's front and center and people get easily caught up in. So I, I guess maybe we close it out with this. What can we do just as a community to help new people that are coming into the hobby every day and help them and, and get them to stay so they're not just coming in and and exiting because they bought a couple cards and the prices went down 50 percent.
2: that's the million dollar question. um i think firstly it's just like doing whatever you can as an individual to that person find what interested in they help them like towards their niche like them questions like who's their favorite player what's your favorite like style of card you know do you prefer 90s and more modern or vintage and kind of like just guiding people and then pointing them to other resources as best you can like hey you should message this person this person they know a lot about that they can help you find stuff to get started figure out uh what's realistic for that person like setting the expectation for them really early on like for example someone says like hey i'm hoping to make you know 20 grand in cards this year i've got five grand to start and it's like okay well i mean let's slow down here and be realistic that you can't just five extra, four extra money, you know, that quickly. So like setting expectation up front is very important and making sure people don't think this is just like a fly by, you know, get rich thing. Uh, I think that helps a lot. And then uh, I think like not pressuring people too much, I think is good. You know, I, there's a sense that like people should be doing this. They should be buying. They should have this much by this amount of time. If not, you know, they're a failure. They should be, you know collecting this person this type of card during this time of year because that's when prices go down and like there's all this wave of pressure of what you should be doing at certain times and I think we should cool off on that I I personally have gotten four friends into the hobby and they're all in it pretty long term and I don't pester them that much you know you might think like I text them every day and we're talking about all the time you know I they need help they'll they'll definitely come to me and I check in on them every once in a while but I think it, having letting them kind of discover things on their own and make mistakes and stuff, I think, is a good part of this, and not, uh, you know, like, hey, you need to be watching this pod, this pod, this pod, three times a day. You need to be checking in with this. You need to check prices every day, and like this, this constant sort of like pressure and annoyance on it. I think is too much right now. So just kind of easing off a little bit. Maybe is another another way to think about it. Other than that, man, just try to have fun. I think uh, Chris will probably round this out better than me, so I'll stop here. But Try to have fun with it.
1: Chris? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Josh checked all the boxes, from, especially from the interpersonal point of view, the one-to-one. You know, And that's great practical advice and lots of things to process and think about when it comes to our friends get in the hobby. We make hobby acquaintances. New people come into the hobby and reach out to us. So let me sketch the contours of what I think is important to helping new people when we're talking one-to-many. One to an audience, and everybody does this, whether they're putting a post to their social media story on Instagram or Twitter, or making a Facebook post in a group, there's one to one interactions, then we we all have one to many interactions. And when it's one talking to many, the key to this, and Brett, I know this is gonna resonate with you, and I and I know for a fact it resonates with Josh, too. Just make authentic content. That's it. Just make extremely authentic, genuine content every time that you go out and you do something, the more thought you put into it, the more passion you put behind it, the more genuine that content is going to come through. And genuine content matters. And I think content as a whole is extremely important to accessorizing and enhancing the hobby experience. I can speak from it from my own experience that, you know, coming back into the hobby in 2015, 2016, the one big complaint I had was outside of Cardboard Chronicles, and 90s b-ball cards. We don't have contents for basketball cards. We just didn't have anything, if you can imagine that time. And then later on in later in 2018, we start the House of Jordans podcast. Kyle started the Wax Museum podcast. And all of a sudden you've got a handful. You've got Cardboard Chronicles, 90s B-ball cards, House of Jordans, um, Wax Museum you know, all of a sudden the content is starting to get a little more robust and I'm like fiending for the next episode. Every time I just like, please Josh, come out with a new interview. I would bug him. He would always like give me hints of who his next guest was. And like, then the interview would come out and like, I would be at work or at school. I would stop, I would listen to it. I'd give him like notes of how much I liked it. Just the content was so important to enhancing my hobby experience and making it very sticky for me making it something that i look forward to day after day after day so making the content making the genuine content is super super important to retention of people and to helping people because people you don't have to tell people what to do but but people but show people how you do it and they can pick and choose i like what he does here i don't like this oh okay these guys collect michael jordan cards i don't i don't like michael jordan but you know Hakeem Olajuwon is from that era. He has cards in these sets, so that's what I'm going to take from their podcast. Or I don't collect LeBron James, but man, that Bob Track interview was incredible. I want to try and be the Bob Track of Peyton Manning, something like that. Okay, so there's you people can pick and choose, but if we make good contents to accessorize the hobby, and it comes from a genuine place, it makes the hobby so much more fun. And like Josh closed with, and I'll close with this too: having fun is the key to hobby prosperity and success. From Think about it from the most basic psychological level. If people in this hobby wake up every day and the first thing that they want to go check, they don't want to look at their CNN news. They don't want to look at Apple news. They, the first thing they reach for is, what are my Instagram hobby chats saying? What are people? What cards do people post overnight? What are people tweeting about cards? What's Blowout saying? What Apple podcast came out that I can look forward to listening to? Those things make the hobby very sticky. We only I only buy a dozen cards a year. You know what am I doing on the other three hundred and fifty three days? You know I'm still here. I'm still doing things. So I think content matters a lot.
0: This was awesome. So much energy and passion. Um, I learned a lot. Hopefully, you all out there listening did too. Before I let you completely off the hook, both of you, I might know your answers maybe Josh. I don't know. Uh, Let's hear it though. I want to, I want to hear from both of you, starting with Josh, who's going to win the NBA finals and who is going to win the gold medal Olympic basketball. Josh, you go first, Chris, you go second and we'll close this thing out.
2: And that's the easiest question you asked me all day. Suns and USA. Let's go.
1: (laughs) And I'm going Milwaukee bucks. Although I'm pulling for the suns. And, And uh, Sons and for Milwaukee Bucks and Team Slovenia.
0: Oh, I knew it was coming! I knew it was coming! I knew it was coming. Uh, all right. Well, you guys take care. Uh, this was an awesome conversation. Talk to you soon.
2: See you, Thanks.
0: That's about as real of a conversation as you're gonna get here on Stacking Slabs. Hopefully, you learned something, hopefully, it got you to think. I always enjoy having those guys on and it won't be the last time. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. And I'll be back next week with more Stacking Slabs podcast. Take care.